Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler from Cut Through Coaching, and today we are talking about accountability. Now, if you're like many of the leaders we work with, you might be grappling with challenges such as, you know, how do you get your team members to really own their work or how do you get them to care as much about the project as you do perhaps you're finding yourself you know doing too much of other people's work because it's just easier if if you do it yourself well my guest today offers some insight and some strategies to help you navigate those challenges Jonathan Raymond is the author of Good Authority, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For, and he's joining us on the line from the United States right now. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you bet, Dan. Thanks for having me on the show. Before we kick off, we can't really start any conversation in the current times without just checking in and, and seeing uh, you know, how, how you're going with all the, uh, yeah. the pandemic dramas that are hitting pretty much everyone on the planet. Yeah, it's, you know, in a, on a very local level... Uh, my little one uh, had a little bit of a summer cold and I picked it up from her and it's like, you know, you can't get sick these days without thinking, you know, you have COVID-19. Thankfully we didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. It's in everything. It's, you know, touches every part of our lives. And, uh, you know, I think somebody said it well uh, about this pandemic that it exposes all of your vulnerabilities at mm-hmm. the organizational level, political level, planning level, health level, you name it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's you know you, you feel a bit funny about coughing in public as well. Yeah, you get a lot of uh, yeah, you, you get a lot of sideways right? exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you have a sneeze or a cough, you can't go outside. All right. So um, during these times, uh, I've spent a lot of time reading. I spend a fair bit of time reading normally, but um, I've sort of had a bit more time on my hands with not traveling too much for work. And um, one of the books um, that I came across, I've, I've known about it for a, a couple of years after hearing maybe. Uh, hearing you speak on the Coaching for Leaders podcast with Dave Stahoviak. Mm. And I thought, oh, you know, definitely need to get my hands on this book. I came, I looked at your accountability dial resources online and then really dived into the book um, probably a, oh, a few weeks ago now. And, it, you know, there's a lot of books out there. Um, but what struck me about your book was the immediate kind of resonance um, that it had. But further than that, it wasn't just a load of ideas. There were real practical um, tactics, and I guess what I'm interested in hearing first of all, as someone who is um, just starting out on trying to write a book, is um, what were you seeing in your work where you saw, hang on, there's a, there's a real gap here, and there's a real, you know, and 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 furthermore, I've got some uh, suggestions and some thinking which might fill that gap. Yeah, I think that there's a. There was these. There were a few parallels between my personal world and my professional world, but one of those parallels, which was part of what drove me, was seeing how many good ideas there are out there. You know, there's thirty-seven thousand books on leadership on Amazon. I think. Right. And <laughs> um, how many good ideas there are out there in both personal domains and, and professional domains, and how many uh, teachers, professors coaches, consultants, gurus, advisors, whatever whatever they whatever title they choose, and how much of a gap there often is between what people say you should do and how they actually live their lives. Mm-hmm. When you get a little bit close to them or a lot close to them as I had the fortune and misfortune to do over the course of uh, 20 years of, you know, kind of my own searching. And um, 
And the thing that I, it sounds silly, but the thing that I found was uh, pervasive, both professionally and personally, was really a lack of honesty and a lack of humility, uh, the ability to say, hey, I've got some ideas for how you might go about doing this. I'm not perfect. I don't get it right all the time. I don't even get it right half the time, but I never, nevertheless believe these are the right ideas mm. and I can get behind them and I'm working on them just as just as you are. And that's something that I I try to do at ReFound you know, these, uh, these concepts, there's a reason why most cultures are terrible places to work in. Most leaders are poor leaders. Most managers, uh, in spite of lots of things outside of their control, are poor managers. It's very complicated, right? There's a mm. lot going on in this terrain. And so for me, it was really seeing, hey, you know, can we approach this with a little more humility? Can we approach this with a lot more humanity to talk about how difficult it is to talk with one another as human beings, mm. whether that's personally or professionally, relationships, uh, you know, of all kinds. And so that's really what what drove me was I felt like, you know, I wasn't very good at it, even though I could talk a good game. <laughs> uh, I had some good ideas, some things I tr- I was trying that that were working um, in my on my own team and my own organization, but not not perfect by any stretch. And that was where I started, uh, you know, back in 2014, 2015, uh, to create the ideas and the frameworks that exist today in the form of Refound and Good Authority. Mm. So it's interesting that you sort of, you know, I mean, you've thrown a, there's a couple of grenades been thrown there, you know, when you say <laughs> mo- most leaders are poor leaders, most managers are, are poor managers. Is that, you know, to what extent is that based on your experience without naming any names? Or is, th- is that actually a phenomenon that you, you know, are you basing that on, for example, you know, the Gallup surveys and, and that kind of stuff? Are most leaders poor leaders? Yeah, so so my uh, so not based on Gallup, although Gallup will certainly you know validate that, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you there's this real silver lining to this because it's not anybody's fault, uh, but there are you know I've worked with thousands, our organization has worked with many thousands of leaders, and there are very few good leaders, and and there's a reason why, it, it's not it doesn't have anything to do with anyone's you know personal intelligence or or willingness or or courage, it's not any of those things. There is a muscle that we've developed uh, over the course of our lives, starting from when we were very, very young, all the way through our education system, our early, you know, first jobs, coaches, you know, everybody uh, who was of influence in our life, almost everybody has the same experience, is that we were rewarded for this muscle called my individual contribution. Mm. And we learned how to fix things, how to solve problems. And if we were any good at that, uh, we got jobs. And if we were any good at it during those jobs, we got promoted. And we built that muscle up, like almost like our right arm. We built that muscle up with tens of thousands of reps, Mm -hmm. building up that ability to make an individual contribution. And relative to that, on the people leadership side, on the relationship side, on the conversation side, we've taken five reps on the average (laughs) person. So 100,000 reps on the right on one arm and five reps on the other. Mm. So we're not good at it, right? But it's not because we're not smart. It's not because we don't want to be good at it. I mean, I talk to so many, I really want to be good at this stuff. I really want to get good at the coaching and the feedback. And they just don't have any practice. They don't have any training. They have very few role models. So there's no personal blame, judgment, or shame. It's just the reality of where have we invested as individuals? Where has our society invested? What is our educational system? How is that invested? And that's the that's the reason why... We have so few good leaders and managers uh, in our organization, and and that's ca- that's compounded, of course, by the further you uh, progress up that hierarchical chart of leadership, the less you actually need to be good at those things, right? 
So, you know, the well, things you're good at is not what you need to be good at when you're suddenly leading other people. That's right. And and I think, you know, these days uh, we're, we're pretty North American focused, or, you know, although we do have some clients internationally, uh, you know, it's really becoming front of mind for CEOs and executive leaders and certainly heads of HR, but they were thinking about this already. The price that we are paying as an organization for having talented people who don't know how to lead others, mm. that's getting very expensive. And it's getting very expensive in terms of talent. It's getting very expensive in terms of, uh, I, I don't think attrition is a great measurement of the health of a culture, but it's but the wrong attrition, right? The wrong people yeah. are leaving. Yeah. Uh, and maybe some of the people are staying or people that we that maybe shouldn't be staying. Yeah. So I think people are getting better um, better acclimated to seeing, hey, wait a second, this is a really expensive way for us to do business and we're not making good decisions mm. collaboratively, even though that person, if we just zoom in on that one person's individual contributions, okay, that looks all right. But if we zoom out even just a little bit, we start to see the the warts and the warts are, are many and severe. So in, in your book, you, there's two words which, well, one's in the title and the other one features heavily is, is authority and accountability. And I'm, I'm not saying this is the case, but I've certainly felt that it might be the case is that sometimes those two words don't land well with people. You know, they're, yeah, right. it's, they're kind of seen as um, negatives, you know what I mean? Like, and, yes. and, and I'm curious as to, I mean, your book's called Good Authority. So if we talk about authority first, and then we'll sort of segue into accountability down the track. But in terms of good authority, what, what does that actually mean? So when I looked out at the leadership landscape and my own, you know, experience, education, professional and otherwise, what I think has happened is we went from a sort of top down, like authority as all knowing, all powerful, you know, force that was kind of the old school way. And, and uh, a lot of uh, there's been a lot of good work done on sort of the evolution of authority and our perceptions of authority generationally. So that's really interesting stuff. Uh, maybe we can share a link to that as well. Yep. But, you know, that was kind of our old way of, you know, authority was in charge. They were the boss. I did what they told me. They gave me the tasks. I received those tasks. I completed the tasks. That was what I would call kind of old school or traditional authority, command and control, depending upon how you think about it. And people started to rebel against that for a lot of good reasons, right? There was a lot. There was a lack of vulnerability. There was a lack of transparency. There was a lack of context. And as people gained more autonomy, they said, wait a second, maybe I don't like that. Maybe I don't want to work for someone who has that much authority. That doesn't feel good. I want autonomy. I want space to create. I want my ideas. I want to have. I want to have a voice here too, not to the exclusion of authority, but in addition to authority. And so, what mm -hmm. happened? And this happened, I would say, kind of mid to late '90s here in the U.S. Maybe timeline a little different elsewhere, and then really accelerated through the 2000s, and then in the last decade, was there was a flip over to the other side of saying, okay, well, what if we got rid of authority entirely? What if we were a flat company? You know, what if it was a holacracy? What if everybody was equal? And people experimented with that out of a out of a well-intentioned gesture to say, hey, it looks like authority is the problem. Let's get rid of it. Mm. And what they found out was, hey, wait a second. It wasn't authority that was the problem. It was the way we were showing up as authority. It was invulnerable authority, right? It was, it was opaque authority. It was abusive authority. And so a lot of what I'm trying to do in this book and what we do in our work with clients is to reclaim that word and say, hey, authority itself is not the problem. We need people who are leading. We need people who are in charge, but we need them to show up in a better way than they have historically. Mm -hmm. 
So good authority is that sweet spot. You could think of it like 45 degrees. It's not top down, but it's not flat. It's right in the middle. And it's, and it's an art, right, to find, hey, okay, when do I need to be a little bit more top down? When do I need to be a little bit more collaborative and open? And that's what makes a good leader for us in the modern world. And you also talk about what makes a good leader is the leader that's um, as interested or certainly interested in the personal growth of um, their colleagues, of their, of their um, teams, as they are their professional growth. And yet sometimes we hit a roadblock uh, with leaders who kind of throw, well, that's not my job, mate. You know, I'm here to look right. after the numbers and things like that. Talk to me a little bit about um, to what extent should a leader be, yeah, concerned with the personal development of their team as much as their professional? Only so much as it impacts their work, which can be a lot, mm. right? Especially these days, but only so much as it impacts their work. So. When I'm working with people on my team, when I'm coaching a CEO or, or a junior manager, doesn't matter, I say the same thing to them. Look, what's going on in somebody's life? What makes them tick at the deepest meaning of life level? It's none of your business. You may come to know it in the yeah. course of building a relationship with them. That's okay. That's natural. That's human. That's not your business. It's not your job. You're not, your th you're not their therapist, preacher, minister, psychologist, or counselor. You're not any of those things in function. However, they're human beings and so are you. You're in a relationship. They're in relationships with other in they're in relationship with other people on their team. So if you think you can lead people without understanding their personal motivations and their personal psychology, you're insane. And I don't recommend people operate from a place of insanity. We are whole human beings. We show up at work with versions of ourselves. We all bring strengths, weaknesses, and a million things in between. And the best managers that I know look out at their team and they say, hey, wait a second, I got 10 people that report to me. I need to drive to this result. How do I understand the people that I've got in a way that makes sense for them, that aligns to the results that I, that I need to achieve? And I don't ever have to be anybody's psychologist in order to do that. I just have to understand what makes them tick. I've got to ask questions. I've got to be curious, assuming positive intent, never hurt anybody. Yeah. And but and build relationship. And when you talk to managers and, and frankly, when you talk to organizations, a client recently, this is a client with about 3000 employees. They went, you know, all across the globe, all their offices, and they asked everybody, what do we need to get better at? And what people said is we need to get better at talking to each other. We need to get, but you need to get better at relationships. And this is a successful thriving business. That's what we need to get better at. That's that, that's the challenge that we see in every single organization that we work with. Yeah, and those challenges are compounded. I mean, in in your um, in your book, you talk about a few of the the myths that are are out there. No, I'm not. You know, I want people to read the book, so I'm not going. We're not going to go through everything. But there was one which um, I've heard so many times in different iterations, and that is when the the boss or the lead team leader throws their hands up and says, "Yeah, but you know, if only people cared about this as much as I do, you know, yeah. my team don't care about me." And I, I'm I'm wondering if that sort of builds on what you're talking about. There is it. It would you know. You, you actually make the case that, well, that's that's just not true. They do care as much as as the team leader, but just in a slightly different way. Could you just share a little bit of your thinking around that? One of the things that I think is hardest for leaders and managers at all levels to understand is that whatever level you are in the organization, you have context to why the work matters that's different than the people who report to you. And it can be something really simple, like, you know, you sit in on a weekly meeting 
with, with other stakeholders who understand this project and why it's important to your organization and your direct reports don't. Let's just use that as an example. Yep. That's a direct line to motivation, right? Because I don't understand. I wasn't part of the process. I wasn't in the conversation. And so when we look out at the team and we say, well, they just don't care as much as I do, it's BS. Mm -hmm. It's that we haven't had the conversation to explain to them, to articulate why it matters. And I know this drives leaders and managers crazy until they get it. But there's a what people don't understand is that until I know why I'm doing something, there's a psychic block to me actually caring as much as you want me to care. Once I understand the why, that goes away and it never comes back. But up to and including that moment where I really understand why am I doing this work? Why does it matter? How does it align to the larger organization and its goals? And what does it mean to me? That sounds like a lot. It's actually not as much as you think. But until that moment arrives, it's going to look like I don't care as much as you. It's not true, but it's going to look that way. I'm trying to care as much as you do, but we haven't had enough information pass through those barriers that are invisible barriers in the organization for to, to unlock how much I actually care. Mm. And and that lack of transparency or that lack of, and, and as you say, it's not done with bad intention. We're not deliberately trying to keep things secret, but I think this plays into something that I'm noticing a lot is that there are so many assumptions made. You know, I just assume that because you're a professional and, and you know, and you've, you've been in this company for however many years, I assume you understand the role. I assume you understand the purpose. And mm -hmm. yet time and time again, those assumptions, they only need to be one or two degrees out and down the track, you have this massive misalignment. And I'm wondering how you've um, experienced, you know, that idea of, because we lead into the second word, which is used a, a lot in your book of accountability. Uh, it strikes me that it's really hard to encourage accountability when people are even slightly misaligned. So yes. I'm curious, yeah, so I'm curious as to some of the ways you feel that we should before we worry about accountability how do we get people on the same page because sometimes they're not even in the same library you know mm -hmm. um, how do we get them on the same page with with those things that we may take for granted i was auditing a class in buddhist psychology about 20 years ago and the professor had said something that was one of the one of the favorite things i've ever heard i can't remember his name but there was a wise-ass student who was trying to make a point and uh, raised his hand and he wanted to speak and the teacher called on him and he said, well, I think that's similar to this other thing. And the professor responded and looked at him with this very serious, playful look. He was a very kind of provocative guy. And he said, well, if you mean similar as in not the same, then I totally agree with you. <laughs> and that's where most organizations and is that we look, we're similar, but we're not the same. And the daylight between those two things is enormous. And I couldn't agree with you more that the reason why accountability lags in most on most teams and most organizations, it's not because the manager doesn't want to drive accountability and it's not because the people don't want to be accountable. And it's not even because they don't want to be pushed. It's because there's a misalignment between what you as the manager actually want, even though I know you think it's clear, mm. it isn't. And they think you want something else. You're using the same words. People are nodding heads, but I promise you, having watched this a thousand times, you're similar, but you're not the same. Mm. There's something that happens when people are the same that unlocks motivation, unlocks alignment, and makes accountability much less scary and, and awkward sounding than it is because we're actually talking about the same thing. And it's a 
it's a frustrating thing for leaders and managers until they see the benefit when to sit down with your team. And you can do this today and say, hey, everybody, I suspect I was listening to this podcast and I, I suspect that we are similar in terms of our expectations, but we may not be the same. Can we talk about that? And if you will just do that after listening to this half hour conversation, you will be amazed at the treasure trove of information that you have one degree off here, five degrees off here, 40 degrees off there. And you could spend the next six months just fixing those things and you will transform your team. I love that question and that that prov- provocation. Um, so th- I want to test the line on you because th- I've been inspired by your book. So this is what this is what I've been running with as I've been introducing people uh, very superficially to your accountability dial um, but just getting them saying look have a look at this this is what I've been throwing at them I'm saying what I'm suggesting is um, the best thing to hold people accountable to or for is the things they've said they're going to do against a hundred percent agreed expectations how does that land with you as someone who spent a lot of time and feel free to push back how does that land as a as a, as a start point uh, for sure, I would say the only modifier that I would make to that, and we can talk a little more broadly, is I would say it's both the things that they say they're going to do and the commitments that they've made around them. Oftentimes what plagues an organization is, you know, somebody will do a task, but they didn't include a colleague uh, or they didn't listen to feedback. So they so they technically did what they said they were going to do, mm-hmm. but the way they went about it wasn't aligned with the conversation that we had beforehand. Right. Or the way that they followed up. And, you know, it, so a lot of it, so much of it is about the process yeah, of yeah. accountability and people will, they will do the things that are in their inbox for the most part, right? If they're not doing that, okay, that's a different conversation. Yep. But it's oftentimes what deteriorates morale on a team and has the A players looking for the exit is the way people go about doing things um, in as much, as much as the things themselves. Um, so that's, the, that's what I would modify there. And then we can talk more broadly about accountability. So let's let's um, let's talk now about the accountability dial. So let's say that we have we've we've done our groundwork and and we've got our whatever language you want to use expectations norms the the how of doing things. I, I love that as as much as the the what we're going to do. The accountability dial offers a way for leaders to essentially chart how they're tracking with different. Um, team members is that is that how you would um conceptualize it like what was the point yeah. of the dial so uh, i i use the word locate but it's the same thing is to locate like where am i in this conversation and there's a very specific reason why i created it the way that i did and it was out of my own personal struggles as a leader and and others leaders leaders that i was working with before i started refound was that i found that leaders would do one of two things and often both the first thing that we would do is we would miss we didn't. We would. We would fail to realize that we are in a feedback conversation really early in the process. So we would be seeing problematic behaviors, either the what or the how or the why, whatever it is, and we wouldn't say anything. So the first thing that we're trying to do with the accountability dial is to give people a lightweight intervention to say something early when they see something when they may not have all the data. They may not have. They probably don't have a, an operating theory for why something is happening, and we want to say, hey, look, it doesn't matter. But here's a methodology to locate, okay, you know what? I'm at the front end of a feedback or a coaching or an accountability conversation. The mention and the invitation, those first two steps in the dial, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get a little into a little bit more, mm. that's how I started. So the first thing that I saw leaders and managers doing all over the place, myself included, was we weren't saying something 
early enough. So that's the first place where we fail to locate ourselves, where we where the accountability dial can help. The other is on the other end of the spectrum. So let's assume we've had some feedback conversations. Maybe they went okay. Maybe they went poorly. Doesn't really matter. But it's in the space. We've talked with someone in some way, shape, or form about something that needs to change. The other thing that leaders and managers do, which we do, is we fail to locate that we are at a boundary, that we have actually grown frustrated. We have actually grown in our concern or our worry to the point where we've started to think about making a more structural change, but we haven't been clear with that person about where we are in the process. So the other place where we fail to locate ourselves as leaders and managers is, oh, we've actually had some conversations about this. And now we're at the place where we need to see demonstrable, actual, maybe incremental, but change. Mm. And so the purpose of the accountability dial is to give busy leaders and managers who are thinking about the technical parts of their job. They're not thinking primarily about the feedback and coaching, even though they might say, I know that's important. What takes priority are the tasks in my inbox. And I understand that the, the fires, the projects, the the goals, I get it. The accountability dial is, is a tool to make it simpler to say, okay, where am I in this conversation? Am I at a step one, a step two, a step three, a step four, or step five? And then there's some scripting that we offer in the book. And obviously in our training programs, we go deeply into that is what do you say at what points? And that's yeah. and the, the to come full circle. The reason why we do this, the reason why this is so important and the reason why it works is that is because it's on the receiving end. If I'm on the receiving end of feedback and accountability, how much urgency, how much authority, how much fire you bring into that conversation at what point is the primary determining factor of whether or not I'm going to listen to you. Because if you bring too much fire relative to the moment, I'm going to tune you out. I'm going to get defensive. If you bring not enough fire, not enough urgency, not enough authority, I'm going to assume it's not that big a deal. Yeah. And, and tuning the instrument of people management, that's what the accountability dials for. And, and one of the things that we've um, noticed when we talk to people about, you know, what's the biggest challenge? And there's so many of them, particularly in middle leadership, and not just exclusively, I mean, higher up as well, but, you know, the idea of the difficult conversation. And when mm. we dig deeper, we say, why is that? And go, oh, well, I don't like confrontation and I don't want to harm any relationships. And then when we talk about the accountability dial, what they realize is that particularly by deploying those first two steps of it, which I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about now, uh, the mention, the invitation, it doesn't, you know, there's no reason for it to be confrontational and it actually enhances relationships as opposed to uh, damages, damaging them. And, and that for a lot of the people we're working with at the moment is it's kind of like a, a light bulb moment for them yeah. that, that they realize that they've they spent all this time trying to avoid confrontation, which inevitably leads to more confrontation down the yes. track. Yes. Um, with that, but if they just deployed you know the mention and the invitation specifically you know there's a lot of that, that that's a lot of work um that they don't need to do down the track you know that that's right. so if you could just as, as i said just talk brief well briefly about the overarching um you know the, the five steps but then specifically because i think that's where there's so much value immediately for anyone listening to the today um the mention and the invitation yeah i mean that's the what i've seen over and over again uh, you know, from people who've, you know, just read the book, that's the only thing they did to, to organizations that have gone all the way through. The mention and the invitation is really transformative for exactly that reason, because, you know, to me, and, and, I'll, and I'll say this, uh, you know, having witnessed it individually and organizationally, the difficult conversation is an artifact. It's an artifact of not using the mention and the invitation. Mm-hmm. If you will 
invest in a little bit of a a, a question and, add, and enact some curiosity, there's no reason for a confrontation. There's nothing to be confrontational about. Mm. It's all in our heads and in our hearts. It's all in our fear, which, by the way, comes from our past because we mostly had, to go back to our topic of authority, we didn't have role models who knew how to do this. So we don't know what it looks like. Yeah. Right. I know we'll talk about that in a moment. But we don't know what it looks like for someone to intervene early to facilitate accountability without shame, judgment, or punishment. We have, we have very few people who have a frame of reference for what that looks like. So we don't do it. And that's why it's also it's why it's rare, but it's also why it's so powerful. So the the mention is really it's it is what it sounds like. So, you know, you give me an example and I'll give you a mention. But you know, it's as simple as somebody as saying something to somebody like, you know. Hey, I, I saw that proposal come through that we're about to send to uh, to that potential customer, and it, it doesn't seem as crisp as what we normally sent out. Um, I was wondering what you thought of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Could be something, you know. Hey, I, I I was I tuned into the stand up this morning, and you seemed a little bit frustrated with Melanie. You know, is there something going on you want to talk about? Mm-hmm. It's it's just that early. It's it's often not always a question. Sometimes it's a statement. Sometimes it's an observation. What, it, what matters is where it comes from. It comes from a place of, hey, I noticed something. Yeah. I don't know if it's a big deal or it's not a big deal, but it's my job to find out. Mm. It's my job as the manager of this team, as the leader of this team. If I see something, I'm going to say something. And if you say to me, hey, you know what? I saw that too. And I actually followed up with that person because I think we could you know, tune this section a little bit better. Uh, awesome. That's so great. Thanks. And it's those conversations, it's the micro accountability, right? It's those micro conversations that we miss and we see it go by and then we are like, oh yeah, that proposal wasn't very good. And then we go into somebody else's office or, you know, during a pandemic, we go to somebody else's Zoom room and then maybe we complain a little bit. Oh, you know, I saw this proposal, it wasn't any good. Now we've started gossip, right? Now we've started politics and there's, it only goes one direction after that, right? Instead of just asking a question, a simple question, making an observation, and being willing to be wrong, right? Hey, mm. oh, oh, that was nothing. Oh, you weren't, no, you weren't frustrated. You were frustrated because the school did something with your kids and you were didn't know how to deal with it. Oh, I get it. Yeah, me too. No problem, yeah. right? But if you don't ask, with one of the things that we're really good at, human beings, we make up stories. So yeah. if we don't ask, we don't find out what's going on. And then we make up a story and the story is always worse than the reality. Which then leads us to the next one, because let's say you know in the first in the first instance the mention is actually all it takes, and and people go, yep, so it actually whatever it is, and it gets it gets um, resolved. But in some circumstances, it doesn't. You you see that same behaviour again, whether it's someone tuning out of a meeting, you know, they're on the laptop doing their eBaying or whatever it might be, you know, right. during a meeting, or they're late, or you know, and and the mention you, the mention you hoped would pick it up and see if there's an issue and and what I like actually is that I did the language of the notice you know it's not mm. I, I noticed it and then the inquiry is like is, is is everything okay kind of thing you know is that what is, or, or getting clarification but yep. let's let's say that that doesn't and and the behavior repeats um t- talk to me a little bit about step two on the dial yeah so before we go into the invitation I'll, I want to say something that's that's really important for for your listeners and anyone who wants to follow this practice is that even though we're going to talk about escalating in the accountability dial, we are never talking about punitivity. We are never talking about shame or judgment or overusing authority. All we're doing is talking about increasing the amount of authority we bring, the amount of intensity we bring, only enough 
to get somebody's attention, only enough to draw them into a conversation with themselves about what it is that we think that they need to work on or change. So the invitation is that next step. And we as human beings, if, if I asked all of your listeners, have you ever had an, a situation where somebody made a mention to you in your personal life about something that you thought that they thought you needed to change and you didn't enact that change on the first conversation? Everybody's raising their hand right now, right? Because that's not how we have, that's not how it operates. Most of the time, sometimes it works where somebody says, hey, you know, you should quit smoking. And we, and we were like, wow, you're totally right. I didn't even realize I was smoking. I'm going to quit, <laughs> right? But most things in life, we need a couple of reminders. We, and mostly the most, the, sorry, the thing that's really important about the invitation is we need to understand the pattern. And that's the important thing about the invitation. The mention is that first, hey, I noticed this. Did you notice that too? The invitation is, hey, there's a pattern emerging, or I think there's a pattern emerging, or I sense there's a pattern emerging. I don't have all the data. I don't know if, I'm, if what I'm seeing is accurate, but as your manager, as somebody who cares about you, someone who's invested in your growth, and who, by the way, cares about our team and our organization, here's a couple of things that I noticed. Hey, in the stand-up, you seemed a little bit, this, you know, a little bit, you know, not a little off your game, and then you know there was this other thing, and if you, I don't know if they're related, but I just wanted to check in with you. Right? That's an example of, of an invitation where I'm trying to draw somebody's attention to something that I think I'm seeing. Hey, I think there's something going on, right? There's a couple of little potholes you've stepped in recently. Could be behavioral, could be on the team, could be technical. Hey, there, was a, there were three parts of the code that we, you know, we, we were struggling with when, when we went through that next level of QA. Um, I'm wondering what's going on. Is there something about how we're operating that maybe isn't great? And it's drawing people into that conversation to go, hey, wait a second. I hadn't thought about that. By the way, I didn't actually see it the way you saw it, but now that you're pointing it out, that is interesting. I'm going to engage this amazing thing called the power of critical thinking, which up to this moment I wasn't doing because nobody took the time to care enough and ask me a question. So now I'm going to go, wait a second, maybe those things are connected. I thought they were one-offs. Maybe they're not one-offs. And that's what the invitation is about, to help somebody say, hey, I know that just like me, you're probably looking at these things and think, oh, it's a one-off or it's not that big a deal or nobody's probably noticing. Yeah, actually they are. Actually, your teammates are noticing. Actually, other people do see some form of what I see. And, and again, I'm the, I'm the person, I want to be out front as your manager. I want to be the person who says it to you early so that you can go, oh, wait, thanks. Thank you so much for raising that. Even if it's a little awkward, even if it's a little uncomfortable to hear, you've given me the opportunity to do something about it rather than waiting and then, you know, putting me on a pip six months later when I could have actually done something about it now. And that really speaks to one of the themes in the book where a lot of our efforts at accountability come too late in the piece. And if we'd have done the, the mention, if we'd have been diligent with the invitation and the follow-up, then the, the more, as you say, the more um, blunt instruments of performance plans or whatever, they sort of, well, they're not as prominent. They're not as uh, regular because people have the assumptions have gone and people are on the same page and, the, and they're going in the same direction. Um, yeah. Imagine you had a, you know, you were learning a new sport and you had a coach and they let you flail around for eight months or 10 months doing it, however you wanted to do it using whatever technique you wanted. And then on month 10, they said, all right, I'm going to hold you accountable. You're failing. You're not doing well. You'd, you would be like, what the heck? I yeah. thought I was paying you to help me. I thought yeah. you, I was paying you to help me learn. Where have you been? Yeah. Right? And that's what that's where the confrontation is in most organizations is then somebody says, I'm going to hold you accountable. Well, where have you been for the last eight months? Absolutely. And so the, 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 the three 
latter steps of the the dial, which we're not going to go into uh, in much detail here, is the idea of that. Then we have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Then there's the boundary. Then there's the limit. If it, it just could you just dot point the essence of those three steps? Yeah. So the the conversation, which is often sort of a little bit longer, uh, not necessarily formal, but you know helps to be kind of one on one and a scheduled one on one. And then you're really focusing on impact. So sometimes. People need more, they need more questions, they need more space to think about something that they're struggling with, whether it's technical or behavioral, uh, how their behavior is impacting other people. We're not good at seeing that as human beings. It's not a skill that we've developed highly, at least as of 2020. Maybe in a hundred years, we'll be better at it. We're really good at seeing how other people are impacting the people around them, but we're not as good at seeing how we ourselves are doing that. That's what the conversation is about. The boundary, which is the fourth step in the accountability dial, is, is more of a concrete agreement. How long do I get to change this behavior? Is this the kind of thing that I need to change within a week? Is this a deeper theme that maybe I could change over the course of a year? Is it somewhere in between? That's your job as a manager is to help somebody understand, hey, you're, you're making progress or you're not making progress, but here's the timeline where I want to check out with you. Does it feel reasonable that this is something that we would be able to change demonstrably in the next 90 days. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Thanks. That's what that boundary is about. And then the limit is the is the ability and the strength and the, the skill that must be there if you're going to be a manager in a high-performance organization or, or any or any high-performance team is the ability to say, hey, I've, I feel like I've done all the coaching I can do here and I'm, I feel like I'm out of options. I don't know what else to do. It doesn't mean you're fired. It doesn't mean I'm never going to talk to you again. It doesn't mean I think you're ugly or what. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means, hey, we've had some conversations. We've gone through the accountability dial. I've tried everything that, that I've known what to do. I don't know where we go from here. Um, this is a this is a tricky moment. And I need you to do some thinking about, you know, where do we, what did we miss? Right. Yeah. And, but it's, an, it's, an, it's still open-ended. I'm not harsh with that person. I'm not punitive with that person. I'm not trying to shame them into submission. I'm just having a conversation with them about, hey, look, I've, I feel like I've done what I know how to do. If there's something that I've missed, I'm, I'm open to hearing that. But I, but I feel pretty good about where I've, where I've come to because I follow these steps. And that limit, the reason why the limit is important, again, just reflect on your own experience. It is often time in our life where the most difficult things to change, we have only changed when somebody who cares about, it, about us has said, hey, I don't know what else to do. I feel like I've tried. I've given you feedback. I've talked with you about this, but it doesn't seem to change. And I don't know why. And I feel like I'm, I'm caring too much here. I don't know what to do. Right. And that step has got to be there. You can't be a good coach if you can't take that step. And if you can't be a good coach, you can't be a good leader. Well, that's a, that's a great way to um, round out the conversation because um, we, we spend a lot of time talking with leaders about helping them become more, you know, coach-like and, Mm. um, I just want to um, thank you for the the work that you've uh, done in this space. And as I say, mm. the book "Good Authority" it's um, it's on one of uh, well, it's it's definitely one of our must reads now mm. for people we're working with. Um, other than Good Authority, where else can people um, access your your work and access um, you know your thinking? The the best place for folks to get started is at our academy. So if you go to academy.refound.com, uh, we have an online video course. It's about a hundred bucks. I think it's a little bit less right now. Uh, which takes you uh, through 12 videos on the accountability dial. It's a it's a pretty immersive experience. We're pretty proud of it. So that's, you know, 100 bucks investment into the accountability dial at academy.refound.com. And then for people who are interested in working with us as an organization, uh, we're just at refound.com at the main URL. 
um, you can find you know ways to get in touch with us. There's some resources there as well. Um, and that's the uh, and then email hello at refound.com if you just want to send us a note. Uh, you will get a human response. Well, thank you very much, um, as I said, for, for joining us um, today. I'm going to put all those links in the show notes. And um, until we uh, our paths cross, <laughs> hopefully face to face one day, uh, look after yourself and um, look after the people around you. Likewise. Thanks, Tim. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Jonathan. So you can find a link to Jonathan's work and his academy in our show notes. And of course, if you found that worthwhile, as we always say, please share it as far and as wide in your networks as you can. Also, if you get a moment, please uh, rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, maybe comment on this podcast. And of course, please make sure to subscribe. That way you never miss an episode of Habits of Leadership. If you'd like to find out more about the work we do, if you'd like to get in touch with us, if you'd like to suggest a guest for the podcast or ask a question that you'd like us to tackle in an upcoming Q&A session, please head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page. But until our next episode, thank you so much for tuning in. Take care. Take it easy.